Welcome back again. And um, I'm Dr. Goh, the uh, Director of ICR. I welcome those who have uh, just joined in the NCCR 2020. We are now going to plenary one. I'm going to introduce a speaker, which is uh, Datuk Dr. Chong Shi Kyung. Dr. Dr. Chong is our Deputy Director General of Health under the Public Health. During the COVID-19, he has been kept busy was overseeing the public health intervention, contact tracing, and to the lab. And uh, I suppose he had done the job so well because he had the public health uh, training as well as a few epidemiology experience. So without further ado, I invite you, Dr. Dr. Chong, to present your plenary one. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Go, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here today to present to you uh, the priorities, public health priorities of COVID-19. Prevention has always been the key to outbreak management and preparedness is the key to response. But neither one of this is absolute by itself and no amount of prevention can avoid the next outbreak and preparedness may not be good enough for the big outbreak ahead. And such is what we are facing now, which is COVID-19. As a measure of a country's preparedness and capacity to prevent, detect and rapidly respond, a joint evaluation exercise, also known as JEE, was conducted in 2019 by the World Health Organizations and the Ministries of Health team. And you can judge from the slide that is uh, presented here, the green meaning good, and of course the red meaning not so good, that certain within the ASEAN region, certain ASEAN member states did fairly well, uh, such as uh, Malaysia, Singapore and Thailand. Brunei, uh, we do not have the evaluation for Brunei. And uh, certain uh, ASEAN member states still need a bit of uh, training as well as uh, preparation in their capacity. But one thing to note here is that the JEE score does not really reflect the capacity of a country to contain COVID. As we all know that uh, Vietnam, Thailand, and Laos apparently are doing quite well, although their JE score is uh, a bit lower than that of Malaysia. But nonetheless, being prepared is very important to respond. Let me first recap the uh, situation of COVID-19 in Malaysia and some of the key events. On Starting from the 25th of January, the first three confirmed cases of COVID was reported. And as of today, we have experienced two waves of COVID-19 infection. The first, wave, the first wave was from the 25th of January until the 15th of February, involving 22 cases. We then had a gap of 11 days when there were no new cases imported. Subsequently, the second wave began on the 27th of February, and this is still ongoing. The initial cluster of the second wave was from the legal and business group. It was later followed by the Sri Pataling religious gathering cluster on the 11th of March 2020. And again, there was a gathering of 15,000 followers, of which 1,500 were foreigners. After the gathering, the followers went back to their respective hometowns, thus spreading COVID-19 all over Malaysia and even abroad. And it has since became the largest cluster for Malaysia, representing approximately 75% of all cases and across five generations. And it was in this, this cluster that triggered us to initiate the start of the MCO on the 18th of March. At this point, I must emphasize that the use of a MCO 
or what is known as a lockdown has never been taught to us in medical school, in our public health programs, and indeed never been mentioned as a strategy for pandemic control. Even during the pandemic AH1N1, the international and local borders were kept open. Perhaps at that time, it was the 15% severe cases of COVID-19 or the 3% fatality that was experienced in China that prompted us to act in such a manner. Here displayed before you is the slide that summarizes the overall public health response towards the COVID-19 pandemic and all its phases. Since the start of the MCO, we have not only the first phase MCO, we also have a second phase, a third phase, and a fourth phase MCO, followed by the CMCO or the conditional CMO, and currently we are in the recovery MCO. The implementation of this MCO requires the use of the PCID Act 342 or the Prevention and Control of Infectious Disease Act and the delegation of powers to other agencies in order that they can help us enforce the provisions and regulations of this Act. At the same time, various public health activities were put in place. You can see the listed public health facilities on the left-hand side of your screen. The activities listed here are first to activate the national CPRC, where it represents the command central, the command center for the Ministry of Health. And we created an awareness on the case management among the health workers through our COVID guidelines, which the first version was distributed in January 17. Until now, there are five versions of management of COVID-19 guidelines in Malaysia that are published and updated from time to time. We also strengthened the point of entry screening, which includes clinical screening of all returnees that enter to Malaysia, as well as the point of entry before they are allowed back into Malaysia. We emphasize on our strategic risk communication. We expand and enhance our laboratory capacity. We expand the hospital capacity. We activate the rapid assessment and rapid response team at all levels, at district, state, and national level to ensure effective and timely response as well as contact tracing could be done at the ground level. We maintain infection prevention and control activities, and that includes ensuring sufficient levels of PPE. We enhance our surveillance system of ELI and SARI, as well as the pre surgical screening and this will provide us with early warning system for COVID-19 transmission within the local community. We had our inter-ministerial collaborations co coordinated by MKN and of course at our Ministry of Health, the steering committee for disaster management held every morning led by our Director General Tan Sri, uh, uh, Dr. Sri Dr. Uh, Dato DG. We also enhanced our international collaborations with uh, ASEAN, WHO, D8, as well as other countries. We used our software just developed, that is uh, e-COVID and MySajatra. We have to mobilize manpower because the outbreak was beyond what we expected. And we have to do a lot of emergency procurement at that particular time. And of course, the legislative and regulatory requirements was all important. During the second wave, all the previous activities continue in different priority throughout the phases of the MCO. 
Now, the public health activities and strategies that we put in place either occurs concurrently together or at any one point in time, certain priorities were given to that particular activity depending on the phase that we are in. And every single strategy and activity is important. But if I were asked to highlight certain priorities that were given, I would like to talk about and focus on the few things you list down that is listed down here. Number one, the ability to detect and diagnose. Number two, the search capacity. Search capacity varies from time to time depending on the meaning and the circumstances. But essentially, it is the ability to provide adequate care during the time when the event is beyond expectation. And such capacity can be in the form of infrastructure, hospital base, resources, laboratory, personal protection equipment, as well as manpower. And then we also need to manage the expectations of the public. We need to manage the MCO to empower the people to understand and assist us in maintaining the recovery MCO. And then of course, currently, what is a priority will be a strong surveillance system. Now, whenever a new disease emerges, a new disease emerges, the first thing we must be ready is to be able to diagnose that disease, not only clinically, but also to lab diagnose the cause of the disease. Now, this is not as simple as it looks, as there are no commercial kits available for a new disease, and we need to design our own kits. For the COVID-19, we did this using a protocol from CDC, as well as that from WHO. But even after three months, as you can see here, our test capability is, was limited to around 7,000 only. It was only after that, during the fourth, fifth, sixth months, that we managed to ramp out our capacity to above 10,000, then above 20,000, and currently at the levels of 38,000. This ramping up of capacity of lab testing actually took a lot of effort. And these are some of the activities over the last six months that we have to do in order to ramp up that capacity. And currently, we are working together, not only among the laboratories of the Ministry of Health, such as the Ministry of Health Hospitals Laboratories, the National Public Health Laboratories, the Regional Public Health Laboratories, and our Institute for Medical Research, uh, National Institute of Health. But we also work together with the military hospital, the, uh, working with MOSTI, working with IJN, working with other universities, and also collaborating with other private laboratories to achieve that 38,000 testing capacity. Then we must also understand the dire need during the start of the pandemic for personal protective equipment. At that time, the usage of personal equipment, especially face masks and gowns, went up 10 times normal. Now, our normal stockpile or buffer is in the region of about three months, about 90 days. So when the demand went up and surged up to 10 times, that's of normal, our stockpile will not last more than two, three weeks. So it was a dire need to procure personal protective equipment that was the start of the outbreak. Here are some of the uh, personal protective equipment that we need and that we procured. We have the head covers, 
the N95 mask, the three-ply mask, plastic apron, isolation ground, protective overall, gloves, goggles, shoe covers. But of course, the most important will be the face mask as well as the glove. Currently, our search capacity, our usage capacity in terms of increment is around two times for head covers, four times for gowns, 30, 31 times for protective coverall, and about 26 times for face shield and goggle. But thankfully, over the last few months, we managed, managed to procure those stocks. And our stock holding now, in number of days, is as seen on the other side, uh, on the last column. So we are, at this moment, quite comfortable, comfortable where we are. Essentially, the personal protective equipment was procured not only at the central level, but also at the state level. And all in all, there were 18 types of PPE that needed to be procured. Of these 18 types, uh, if you were to divide it into the phases of the CMO, the, M uh, the MCO, CMCO, and RMCO, we will notice that the usage of personal protective equipment during the first two months of the MCO was high uh, at about 55 million pieces. And during the CMCO, it dropped to about 35 per month, million per month pieces. And during the RMCO, about 53 million pieces. It went up again slightly because the cases went up a bit. All in all, we spent about 199 million pieces of PPE that was used from January until August. Of this 199 million pieces of PPE, most of it, 82.6% was procured at the facility level, whereas only 12% was bought by the central emergency procurement and another 5.1% donated to us. At the moment, the stock holding period is around 200 plus days. For the manpower insufficiency or surge capacity, we have to depend on relief responders provided not only by the Ministry of Health staff, but also by other agencies. And here it's important to understand and to let the relief responders understand that there are certain liabilities uh, certain risks that a volunteer has to take. So we need to ask the volunteers to fill up a liability form where they will understand what are the obligations and undertaking of the Ministry of Health and what are the obligations and undertaking that the volunteers have to do or undertake themselves. All in all, uh, in terms of volunteers, we have 4% from the NGOs, 1% from other ministries, 7% from the armed forces, but it is very good to know that individual volunteers accounted for 10% of all external of the uh, total volunteers. And of course, the volunteers from the Ministry of Health from other states that was not as, hard, that was not as badly hit will also form a big part of the relief responders. And needless to say, we need those relief responders during the acute phase of the pandemic, during the MCO phase. During the uh, recovery phases, it dropped. Uh, sorry, during the uh, condi conditional phase, it dropped. And now in the recovery phase, uh, it's going up a bit because of the present clusters that we are seeing. And the agencies that are involved, uh, of course, uh, as I mentioned, the Ministry of Health, uh, which is, provides the big bulk of it, 
and uh, the others coming from the ATM, the NGOs, and uh, the individual volunteers. While we welcome all kinds of volunteers, it is in the areas of uh, medical profession, as well as the public health profession, that we need the most volunteers. Volunteers for managing patients, as well as taking swap, volunteers for case investigation, and going around the ground looking for contacts. One priority of the outbreak is to manage expectations. And for this purpose, we have a daily press conference during the acute phase and now twice daily, twice a week, led by our country DG, attended by the um, deputies uh, DG, as well as the director of disease control. So during this, during this press conference, we try to address questions that are always surfacing and uh, the biggest question that keeps cropping up is, are we doing enough tests? Why are the cases increasing? Uh, why is our enforcement not strong enough? So answering these questions during the press conference gives confidence to the community and at the same time, we manage the expectations. Educating the public on what we want is also a core reason for having this press conference. And as you probably have heard countless times, the need to follow SOPs, the need to social distance, the need to have to wear your face mask now. It is something that we keep repeating, emphasizing, because at this moment, in the absence of a vaccine and a drug, it represents the only form, the only solution to contain the pandemic COVID-19. Now, at this particular stage, in the recovery CMO, the priority will be to get and empower the community to understand what is the new normal. Now, the new normal only has four main principles. It was, or and it still is, border control, movement control, physical distancing, and self-protection. During the MCO period, the Honorable Deputy Health Minister One. Datuk Dr. Noasmi launched what is known as the DRRP, which is the District Risk Reduction Program, where we tell the community at the district that they should try to protect their district and maintain it to be green. And if their district is yellow, try to convert that district from yellow to green. And we use three pillars, which is to protect the family, to protect the community, and to protect the district. There are various activities under each pillar. And of course, moving forward to the recovery MCO stage, we extracted part of the two of the pillars to become what is known as CAPP, which is C standing for Cegah COVID dan Didik, A Amalkan Tingkalaku Bagi Mengelakkan Diri Keluarga dan Community Dari Jangkitan, P Patuhi SOP, and the other P is to monitor patuhi status kesihatan diri dan keluarga, saringan suhu di pintu masuk. This program was launched by the Honourable Prime Minister on the 8th of August. So empowering the public to become frontliners, to adapt to the new normal, to observe the SOPs that we are trying to put in place, represents the main health priority now. And one of the most useful tools that we have come up with is the MySajatra. So in this MySajatra tool, it contains most, in fact, I would dare say, all the information that 
you need to know about COVID in Malaysia. We have statistics, we have SOPs, we have trackers, we have office check-in, check-out, we have my travel, we have hotspots, and there's even a place for you to complain on uh, things regards to COVID. As of the 16th of August, we have already a number, we have already 15 million cumulative registration, of which 14 million are active users. So it is one of the tools that we are using now to manage the expectations along with what I mentioned just now about the promotion of SOPs as well as the CAPP and the rest of the uh, the rest of the health promotion and education that we need to empower the public. And finally, during this recovery MCO, when the cases are low, it is important for us to know how the situation or the in how much of the community has been infected. While we are not doing a population-based survey, we have put in the COVID surveillance system for COVID-19. And if you look at the numbers that we have before you, for the ILI surveillance, we did about 88,000 samples, but only 17 were positive. We did the SARI surveillance, which is for the more ill patients in the hospitals. Of the 26,000 samples, only 88 were positive. For healthcare workers, we screened about 27,000. We have about 111 positives. But for the pre-opt screening, we have 104,000 samples of patients screened and only 50 of them were positive. Now the first two surveillance system represents the symptomatic surveillance system, whereas the third and fourth surveillance system represents the asymptomatic or the well patients. So all in all, both the symptomatics as well as the asymptomatics positives are less, very much less than 1%, some as low as 0.1. So we are relatively confident that the COVID-19 virus is not deeply embedded in our community at the present moment. So with that, I'd like to say thank you. And uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here today presenting the priorities of public health. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dr. Chong, uh, the DDG of Public Health of the Ministry of Health. I now look at this statistic that you have shared and voluminous work you and your public health colleagues have contributed throughout these six months or so. We must, uh, we want to convey our gratitude to all your staff, no wearing PPE in the hot weather like this, uh, work, working at the entry point, some of the conditions may not be so conducive. Uh, many of us who work in air-conditioned room may not realize how hard your staff and your colleagues in public health have done for this country and the people. We want to thank you very much and thank you for sharing all this statistic and the, the work that you have done and continue doing. So um, with that, um, we will end the plenary. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Chong. Thank you very much, Dr.